All right. Three, two, <gasps> one. Hello, and welcome on the island. I feel like the sun's going to come out today, and it's going to be great. I hope my words aren't the opposite of their intention as they turned out for Libby in this episode. Spoiler alert! Already starting. Already. But really, I I highly doubt people just kick us on and have no idea what happened in Survivor. What if people strictly followed... And I'll introduce you in a second. What if people just strictly followed us, or followed Survivor through us, and didn't actually watch the show? I feel like that'd be... Like a really interesting thing because we don't focus on like the challenges or like we're we're very people centric focus, not game central, like game centric. So it's that would be interesting to hear if somebody is trying to keep up with the show that way. I don't know. That'd be a that's a cool thought experiment. I tell you what, if you're a psychopath who does that, let us know. Tweet at us. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. We're here to talk about week eight, the sea slug slugger, one of our favorites and one of our Twitter friends, Libby Vincek, mm. voted out second member of the jury to go join Chris the Noble One as the prince and princess <laughs> of Ponderosa, as he put it. But the war is far from over, Ty. Oh, wait. I, didn't, I just spoiled it. I just said your name. Yeah. It's Ty. I'm here. I know I sound a little bit different. Two reasons. I can only trust him to a certain point. Tyler B. Commons. That's the one I wanted to use. Two reasons my voice is weird. A, it's the morning. B, I'm sick. So if it's a little bit lower register than normal, I apologize. But I also think it sounds better. So there we go. I apologize. I'm literally not trying to do that. This is Jeopardy. (laughs) Maybe you should do like the musical guest. (laughs) With the musical guest. What was your guy's name? Scott Musical guest. Scott Passarella, here's your host, Taylor Gaines. Yeah, it could be deeper. I know, I don't have a deep voice naturally, (laughs) but that's okay. Yeah, funny story to no one else. uh, We used to try to record these in person, and when we lived in the same state and area code. Mm -hmm. But my microphone, which is a great microphone, use it for many a podcast, (laughs) literally cannot pick up your voice. Like, I'm not sure if you're a figment of my imagination or what. (laughs) I don't exist. I just say the things you want to (laughs) hear once a week. Like, Taylor, you're doing a great job. Taylor. And whenever I try to bring you into, like, in person, like, you just, you disappear. Like, your proof that you're a ghost is that the mic can't pick you up. Yeah. Well, I just spent the last 10 years taking advanced courses in idle self-actualization. So you have no idea if I'm real. You're quoting Feinberg, I'm guessing. This was great. I actually, I wrote this down also. Our friend from The Hollywood Reporter, Daniel Feinberg, uh, and his recap this week. He he kind of fan-fictioned the journey of the effing stick from non-idle to idle, which I think is more entertaining than the version that uh, was presented to us on TV that just said, it lived on Ghost Island for 10 years (laughs) and matured into an idol. No, in his version, he said... um, Full credit to Feinberg. You may recall it is the fake idol that wanted so bad to become a real idol that it booked passage for Ghost Island, spent 10 years taking advanced courses in idol self <laughs> in idol self-actualization at Ghost Island University, aside, 
Ghost Island State is much more of a party idol school, and eventually became a real idol and swam back and hid himself at one of this season's camps. (laughs) Given the effort that the stick went through, nothing Michael did is so impressive at all, but at least he did exactly what you're supposed to do with an immunity idol, in that he kept it completely secret and played it at a tribal council in which he'd otherwise have been eliminated. I guess that's a good part to uh, jump off of. Good place to start. Michael survives again. He does. And it's, I feel so bad for the guy because I don't think he's a bad player. And we're going to, we're going to mention this. I don't understand why the lines are still drawn Navidi Malolo. And it hadn't been like explicitly mentioned the last two episodes, but this episode, that theme kept coming up over and over of, well, we're on Navidi, why are we going Malolo? And then Malolo thought they had two Navidis willing to jump ship. And that theme, I don't get what bond is so strong and why people are playing the game that way. If I could be so blunt, the season has been divided into two where Mm -hmm. the first few episodes were really good because everyone was trying to make all these crazy moves. And then I think... I really liked the one down episode where we sort of knew what was going home because they focused on it or knew who was going home because they focused on the emotional aspect of it. But since then, they've kind of had the same problem where they know who's going home, but they don't want to make us know every single week. Right. And it's just led to kind of a boring few votes, I think. I mean, Chris Mm -hmm. versus Dom was obviously a huge exception in that it was entertaining it wasn't, as Michael said this week, it wasn't really a line in the sand at all because everybody just kind of made the easy vote. Right. But it's kind of simple for me. It comes down to people trying to make big moves or not, and the show is worse when people are not. Yeah, and people are they are playing the safe route because Navidi's outnumbered Malolo basically the entire game. And none of them are willing to budge. And I just, we bring this up so many times, who's on the bottom of that Navidi alliance? You know, who's the one that is going to be kicked? Once the Malolos are gone, who's the person that's going to be the next easy vote? And then who's going to be the next easy vote after that? And I want those people to jump ship and start playing the game. Joe Mana used to always say this, I'm stuck out here with people not playing the game, and I feel like we might be... After some really good weeks early on, I feel like we're falling into that groove of people unwilling to try and people unwilling to bend the rules and backstab. Um, and that's just a really risky movement. I don't know how people don't see them as being on the bottom if you're in the, the giant Navidi alliance. But, you know, I'm not out there experiencing it, but it just seems like people are scared to make moves. I think the issue is people would rather be on the bottom than be on the outside. Like you see... Laurel had an opportunity to potentially make some votes go towards Wendell, but backed down from it because she didn't want the target on her back. Mm -hmm. Angela was presented with a similar opportunity, but decided to just try to stir things up in a way that only strengthened an already existing alliance. Like It wasn't like she tried to blow up internally what was going on. She just kind of was like, hey, you know Michael, who we were already thinking about voting out? Guess what he said? Uh, (laughs) So, like, everybody's kind of playing it really safe. I don't know when the game's going to start, but when it does, there's going to be a lot of people just left out in the cold because they're not ready. Right, and those people... I don't know. I want the Laurels and the Donathans and the Angelas. You know, the people that have sort of taken a backseat so far. I mean, Donathan got a good edit early. There's people who have taken a back seat 
I want them to jump into the driver's seat and make something happen. I want them to take a risk for a million dollars because these are the people where if they don't take a risk, they're going to find themselves, you know, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth members of the jury. And that's not what they're out there to play for. You know, what do you think Angela should have done in that moment uh, if she decided, hey, I'm going to make a move? Do you think she did the right thing or do you think she should have gone in a different direction? When she started... um, just relaying all that information that Michael had given her to everybody. I was really confused by that. Obviously, it got the target on Michael's back. But to me, it seemed like she had this bit of information that she could have worked with and stirred the pot up or continued the status quo. And, you know, maybe maybe Libby was the main target this episode and that shifted to Michael, but since he had the idol, it was moot. I keep using moot. That's like two weeks in a row. Um, and I don't I don't think it, it helped her. I don't think it made her case stronger. I don't think her winning immunity this episode, like, great, pat yourself on the back, you won immunity, but you're still not on the in crowd in your lines. It seems to me like she might not be privy to a lot of the conversations that are going on about late game strategy and late game thought she seems like she's stuck in the moment where people like you know Wendell and Dom are looking forward and realizing people are looking at them and Angela she said herself she just wanted to stir the pot and get people upset and get people reeling so she could get a read on them but I don't think getting a read on anybody helped her if that makes any sense well as kind of a summary as Stephen Fishback wrote this week (laughs) That's like drink. That's like our drinking game, right? He mm-hmm. he said it often happens that those at the bottom of a power structure turn on each other, jealously guarding their own step on the ladder rather than actually destabilizing the forces up top. Which allows someone like Dom to say, "You know what? I'm gonna lay low for a couple of weeks. Kind of let people think less about me for a little while." And it's like, mm-hmm. how, it's crazy that he can even afford to think that way. But you know. At, there's also this thing of wanting to constantly vote with the majority when you can so that your big move is a surprise or is good, you know? Mm-hmm. She might be feeling like this is too early in the game to stick her neck out there and, and try to do something. Yeah, I, and really... I mean, if you're one of those people who thinks the merge is really the beginning of the game, this was only, what, week two? <laughs> so, yeah. like, this is still, like, the this is round one of the playoffs, you know? Yeah, LeBron's going home. <laughs> not a basketball you podcast. heard it here first you heard it here first ty spoiler we alert did. for those who dvr'd their cavaliers pacers game and haven't watched it yet but he's down 2-1 right yep 2-1 going home it's not a basketball podcast though it's not i really need to stop bringing basketball into this regardless of all the navidi tribe dynamics which surprisingly we haven't even really talked about wendell when it comes to all that but mm-hmm. re- regardless of all that i think this episode generally was just kind of an episode lacking interesting things uh, happening, partially on the part of Survivor and partially on the part of the players, which we've talked about. But the Survivor part of it is that this Ghost Island thing is really getting out of hand. Yeah. Like, I didn't mind so much at the beginning of the season that, you know, something wasn't going to happen every week. But, like, I'd have to go back and run the numbers, but it's at least 50% of the time people go there, nothing happens. And,. The fact that we wasted, what, even three minutes of the 42 minutes following Jenna all the way to Ghost Island for her to do nothing is just so stupid. 
Ghost Island yeah. sucks. What What do you think? <laughs> Ghost think, Island sucks. Back to you, Ty. Uh, I think it has the it had and still has the potential to be meaningful. Like Chris's little sneak off last week, like that was a fun thing to do, and you know he risked it and went for went for it all and ended up coming out broke. But I don't think. I feel like if you go to Ghost Island, you can't give the players an option to risk or not risk. Because, like you were saying, even if only 50% of the time someone goes there, they have the option to play. We saw Kellen early on decide not to play. And then she played the second time, which made it a little bit more interesting. Because not playing, while it was the good strategic move, it wasn't the good entertainment factor. So... but why not even have like a game where they can win food or something? I mean, they've talked about how this season they're giving them less food than ever. Just give do something. Like, don't just have them go and literally do nothing. Okay, can we talk about this not giving them food? They're getting food every two or three days. We get the taco <laughs> feast. They had a food challenge this week. It none of it was like delicious, but listen, that's a lot officer, of protein. I don't understand why you think I'm not giving my kids food. I'm feeding them every two or three days. It's fine. Like we had fish eye last night. I stole it from the market in the trash. It's great. My kids are fine. Just because you can see their bones poking out of their shoulders does not mean they have not been eating enough. Yeah. I I mean, the 50% less rice, I feel like is being offset by the amount of merge feasts and meals. And I will say rewards. I I think that was the one good thing about this week was the eating challenge Mm -hmm. because I love eating challenges i think every season should have an auction or an eating challenge and for some reason not everyone does yeah it's been a while this was great and angela going ham so to speak was (laughs) was just very entertaining and when she downed that sea slug just by shoving it down her throat i was like in shock that was one of the grossest and craziest things i've ever seen it was gagorific bro who said that? That's Sebastian? <laughs> yeah, Sebastian. <laughs> Anytime it's like, <laughs> you can pretty much guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I missed that quote. But it was, uh, it was. I do love the auction. I love the blindfold challenge. We talked about the one they did earlier this season, how it kind of came down to three people because the puzzle was also blindfolded. But anytime you get a wrestling challenge, which we've had, we had them uh, get in the rings in the water. Anytime you have a blindfold challenge or an eating or an auction, I think it's a good season challenge-wise. So it's not like that has been a downer this season. I think that's actually been something they've done really well. Yeah, usually I kind of tune out during the challenges, but they've been pretty good this year. Although the reward this week was pretty dumb. Uh, It was the slingshot thing where Wendell basically just kept running out and launching into the boards or whatever. Yeah, I remember the challenge. I just couldn't remember what they won. It was another feast. Taco Hut. Tacos, Taco Hut. I just mentioned Remember it. Remember Wendell? Yeah. Wendell said um, he'd probably risk immunity for guacamole. I'd do that. Guac is the best. Ah, oh, that guac looked good, too. Anyway, so that was a good thing. I want to... Okay, I've heard it's unpopular when I talk about the editing. Yeah. <laughs> but if you don't want to hear that, then you might as well turn it off, because I have some thoughts. Yeah, we had to do it this episode. It seems like there wasn't a whole lot shown that needed to be shown, and there was a lot shown that didn't need to be shown. So yeah, what are you, what are you thinking? Okay, number one, actually, let me do like number three first, just because it's unimportant, and I just think it's funny. Okay. I, it, I kind of find it 
I, I LOL when the producers have a military veteran on because they always clearly are trying to get them to say war metaphors, which is like kind of odd. Because like mm-hmm. we had a thing from Angela where she was like, I'm trying to start a war or, or something. And like they, you'd have the same thing a lot with Ben last season where he would have to talk in platitudes like that. But mm-hmm. that's just a thing I find weird. My biggest thing, number one, is their handling of Libby this season was like, I don't want to say, it was like a, no, it was novice. Like, it was like, we we don't know what to do with her. We're going to present her once as uh, this wily, smart blonde who's manipulating people. And then we're going to not really talk about her. And we're going to make it look like she's a threat even at the votes where she clearly has no idea what's going on like this was like the third week in a row where she came back from tribal and was like i don't even know who voted for me or why and then the moment in the middle where they said or she said oh everybody thinks michael and i are a power couple that was like that was like grabbing a thought out of nowhere that hadn't been talked about at all Mm -hmm. and then she didn't even get to talk at final tribal when she was the one who got voted out which happens but is just like always sucky and i was just like kind of perplexed by their handling of the entire situation because like you like you said there was information we had too much of that might not have been relevant and information we didn't have enough of like the power couple thing that maybe was relevant Uh uh-huh i don't know it didn't her her edit this season has been so sparse and disjointed that I didn't I don't know who Libby is. I think Feinberg had a really good quote on it and I'm going to I'm going to read that. It says the vote against Libby was a culmination of a multi-week campaign of paranoia against Libby that I believe was based exclusively exclusively on her being cute, which is not a great thing to get you kicked out of the game. Libby was made to believe that people feared her closeness to Michael, a closeness that was barely, if ever, saw. She's not going to be really frustrated. I really need to fix that. She's going to be really frustrated (laughs) when she sees the various guys speculating on her ability to use her feminine wiles to get further in the game. The reality is that although Libby may have certainly had the potential to be manipulative and flirtatious, if that was truly occurring, we saw none of that. And that's where I have to agree. The thing is... They have to condense 72 hours of footage into one hour, really 42 minutes. So I didn't get to see Libby's strategy or Libby get to play. I do feel like maybe she was put in a box because she is cute. Maybe she was kind of given that role of like, no one's going to trust her because she has the ability to flirt with guys. But I never saw her doing that. I didn't see any conversations between her and Michael. I didn't see... The only flirtatious behavior we got was uh, Stephanie in week one. But other than that, I don't think anybody's... A little bit of Sebastian and uh, Jenna and the hair and everything. Yes. But, but other than, like, I, I think there's not actually, been a lot of that. I think this supports your point, even what Libby said to um, Dalton Ross at Entertainment Weekly. I think one of my biggest hurdles was that many of the other players thought that being nice was a ploy when it's actually just my personality... I think some people thought that was a tactic, so they put themselves on guard when they shouldn't have felt like they had to. That's a difficult challenge to overcome when you're trying to develop real relationships, mm-hmm. which I think supports everything you just said, that she was just trying to be a nice, normal person, and everyone was like, she's cute. Is she trying to manipulate me? <laughs> yeah, it it's a stretch. It's a stretch in my mind. We've seen it happen in the past. Feinberg brings up uh, poverty. 
poverty. And that can get you far, but I don't think... Maybe it would work if, say, Sebastian was the one running the game. But since Sebastian's not the one running the game, playing the flirt card doesn't get you very far, if that makes sense. It's well, but not Jenna like... was the one flirting with Sebastian. Right, Real life Jenna's... couple, by the way. Have you seen that? I did. I saw that. I saw a couple uh, real life things this week. That's interesting to me that Jenna and Sebastian are a couple, but who knows? Maybe they'll be in Florida sometime. <laughs> Maybe you'll get yeah, to catch up with them. They have an Instagram called tarzan and jane where they just post themselves doing stuff i guess yeah just another thing the show's not really talking about but whatever i don't know i'll give libby the last word because you know she was the one who got voted out we'll talk about her ponderosa at the end but Mm -hmm. uh she said i think it's really difficult to get a true grasp of the complexities of the relationships in a one-hour episode obviously There were relationships that I believed were stronger than they turned out to be. I worked hard to keep the bonds between some people in my tribe, which apparently weren't as strong as I thought. If I could say one thing I wish was more evident, it would be how passionate I was to play the game and how hard I worked to earn the position I ended up in. And she ended up voting for Michael, one of the seven people to do so, negated by his idol, because I guess she felt like, you know, vote with the majority, like we're talking about. And then uh, the four votes for her, I believe, just came from all the girls and i'd have to double check i think michael was the only vote for wendell Mm -hmm. but speaking of wendell this is the second thing i want to talk about and this is where people really might want to not listen if they don't like when i talk about the edit because this just if 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 you were annoyed when i called out that ben was going to win halfway through last season just turn off now ty i think wendell's gonna win (laughs) yeah what what stuck that out to you so far because I've, like we said, we were trying not to focus on it. I didn't see anything that made me think he was going to win. There wasn't that aha moment. There hasn't been the aha moment yet. Like, I wouldn't bet my house on it. But I'm starting to think with each successive week, like, oh, no, I'm right. Like, it it first, I first thought of it vaguely when the, gosh, what was it? A couple weeks ago when he found the idol and there was something about, was it when everybody went to sleep and he went out looking because he was like the only one playing the game? I, I can't remember. He, he just had a good look where he like did really well at a challenge and found the idol. And he had to like, I think we probably both had him number one in our power rankings that week. Mm-hmm. And then last week, he was kind of the negotiator between Chris and Dom. And we talked a lot about how good of a position that put him in. And he got to kind of narrate the action a lot for the audience. And this week, I felt like he narrated half of the episode of Mm. just like him explaining things and despite an episode that should have been a potential wendell going home kind of thing they didn't even present it that way at all and Mm -mm. i just started to think like oh no he's safe like when even when michael played his idol just everything that happened leading up with wendell i was just like he's not going home like i it never crossed my mind yeah which is fine because he's you know my winner pick so mad props (laughs) to that but I'm not convinced he's going to be the winner because I got the hint last week that people realize that Dom and Wendell are the ones running the game. And if no one makes a move soon, I think that could happen. But people realize that those two are so good at the game. I think they're going to vote at least Dom or Wendell off in the next three weeks. If we get a thing next week where Wendell has a confessional and he starts crying about some emotional backstory, then book it. Because that's the only thing missing so far. We haven't had like a real connection with him, Mm -hmm. but he's been 
dominating and he's in a good position. That's all I'll say about that. I, I'm not ready to go all in on it yet, but I'm starting to feel that that's the way this is going. Mm. Um, real quick, before we get to our power rankings, we'll move off the edit talk. <laughs> did you watch Ponderosa this week? I did not get a chance. Again, my computer's been on the fritz, so I turned it off about, or turned it on about three minutes before we started recording because I just basically keep my computer off nowadays. Well, I'll give you the highlights. Thank you. She meets Dr. Joe. She says, We all sleep about two hours a night, and it's very cold all the time. He says, You've lost 13 pounds, from 131 to 118. Oh my gosh. 10% of her body weight. (laughs) Holy cow. The standout moments were Chris coming out to meet her, carrying a beer only for himself, didn't bring her anything. (laughs) What a Which gentleman. Felt, felt right. And her talking about wanting a, to eat a hot peanut butter sandwich. I feel like I could have talked for the first 30 minutes of the podcast about this. What is a hot peanut butter sandwich? <laughs> have you eaten one of these? I've never had one of those. So coming out of this season, what? We have to have her family's turkey jerky and <laughs> a hot peanut butter sandwich. Maybe I don't it's a combination know about... that they have. I will say, though, I... I the first time I heard you could put peanut butter on a hamburger, I was pretty grossed out, and I love that. So, mm. <sighs> I've know. not had the hot peanut butter sandwich. Her thing was going grocery shopping. I guess she likes cooking, so she went and made a meal for her and Chris, which I think Chris definitely thought was a date, given <laughs> the way he dressed up and the setup, but you can go check all that out. It was probably pretty cringy. The whole thing was a little cringy. There was a lot of... And I, I, it less so because I know Libby wants to be a model, I think, from following her on Twitter or something. Or she does a lot of modeling or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's less creepy. But there was a lot of B-roll of her, like, laying in bed with the sunbeam shining on her face. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I was like, what are we watching? But generally, she just seems pretty charming. Like, I, I wish we had gotten a better portrayal of her as we talked about. But... Yeah, I would say I'd agree with that. She seems like she's a competent, fun person. And I I wish that she would have got a better edit so I would have known why she went home. Because um, your guess is as good as mine. For um, what it's worth, by the way, Probst's final summation of her was, I really enjoyed Libby. She made the first big move in the game, and that helped set the tone. I think she surprised a lot of people who might have underestimated her. Libby's biggest obstacle was simply the unfortunate performance slash luck of her tribe. They were in trouble with the numbers, and she just couldn't get out from under it. So he blames Malolo. Yeah, and that's a bummer. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I have the sick brain. It's not woken up yet. Did I just you see- got pissed off for the first time, Ty. I don't believe Kellen when she says she gets pissed off. Turns out I don't believe Kellen a lot when she says anything. I didn't believe her when she said she she's not a trust-your-gut type of person. Yep. I don't believe her when she says the first time she got angry was 25 days into the game. But regardless, Kellen's been playing really well. Wendell's been playing really well. We'll see if any of those two made it into the power rankings. It's time for the power rankings. Power, power, power. No one man should have all that power. (laughs) Two new Kanye albums. What do you think? It's not a music podcast. (laughs) No, it's not a music podcast. And I don't think anything about it. If the people out there don't know, music is not my thing. I listen to it, but I don't search it out or pay any attention. So He just leaves his windows down whenever he's driving around. And if he happens to hear songs coming from other cars, that's how Ty consumes music. Yeah, 
Or the it's very weird when you ride music. around in the car with him. <laughs> it's super awkward. So who's your number one after week eight? Number one, and this is going to sound like it's coming way out of left field. I got Laurel. Because I think Laurel... Laurel. <laughs> I think Laurel is walking the line where she... And this is probably the only week she's going to have it realistically unless she ends up making the big move that she has the ability to make because i think once the vote comes down next week if a big move hasn't been made by the malolo people including laurel i don't think she's gonna make it very far or very much farther but i think i think she has to turn away from dom and wendell and I think she wants to, but she's also saying, well, look, I'm going to be in top four. And if I can skate top four and get past Dom and Wendell, uh, With them and that's going to work for her. Yeah, well, I think I do think Donathan is the fourth place person in that little quadrilateral alliance. I don't even His know. His presence on the show has basically dropped off the map in the last several weeks. It has. So I think Laurel has the power over Wendell and Dom right now, even though it's from a backseat position. That's why I got her at number one. Wendell's my number one based off everything I've already talked about. If you skipped over the middle part of this, um, I feel like he's in a really good position and he's done really well at challenges and he's still got Dom to kind of shield for him. So I like where he's at. I will say I probably should have downed him from number one solely based off of his performance in the uh, immunity challenge. He literally just dropped the fish eye and backed away. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Really funny moment. Number one for him. Yeah. My number two is Wendell. A lot of the same reasons. I think we touched on it last week. He and Dom are too prominent uh, for their own good, which is why I have him at number two in Laurel because Laurel is hidden behind him. So I've got Wendell number two. Who do you have? My number two is Kellen, which I think might not be borne out by the way the show's being presented, but she seems to be in control of every vote. She always knows what's going to happen. She always has all the girls in her back pocket where they could turn on their own people at any moment if they want to. And I just feel like she's always been safe. Like I've never felt like Kellen was ever in danger of going home, but I also have never felt like she's a nobody. And I feel like she's one of the contenders as we round the corner here mm-hmm. yeah and number three for me i got i still got dom on there so three people in one alliance laurel wendell dom uh take my top three right now but they are in just such a powerful spot and uh like we said because wendell's hiding behind dom and laurel's hiding behind both of them that it's kind of a reverse order from the power in the game but that's the way i got it shaken down dom is my number three this week I feel kind of bad leaving Angela off after the insane immunity performance, but my number three is Michael because he did what you have to do. I mean, we've seen it time and again that playing your idol when necessary for some reason is not as easy as it looks. And <laughs> right. he he did it, so hats off to him. I'll throw a point his way. I should update people, and this is... Uh, we've been keeping the power rankings going, the total points. Um, so if... If you want to know the current overall standings, head to twitter.com slash on the island pod because that's where you'll find the latest and greatest. I'll tell you that before this week, we were top three Wendell Michael Kellen, 
by points for the season. Three, two, one, obviously. Number one gets three, number two gets two, number three gets one. So mm-hmm. go check that out. Even though you can't necessarily trust everything you hear on the island. No, you can't. As Wendell okay. said. I want to paint a picture for you, and I want to hear your reaction. Poor Taylor, walking by himself in New York, just stumbles upon a bar, and he walks in on a Wednesday night, and Chris and Dom are both there. They're hanging out, having drinks, enjoying a little meet and greet with people. And also, Joe Mena, one of the more explosive characters. Who do you talk to first, and what do you talk to them about? Hmm. Wow, that I actually, wasn't ready for this. That actually happened this week. They had a to a you? Nice, no, I wish it happened to me. <laughs> they had a they had a watch party together. So I'm just I'm just curious which one of those three you try to engage with immediately. Probably Joe. Mm-hmm. I think Joe would be the most interesting conversation. Dom probably takes a few minutes to get him to talk, <laughs> at least in a, in an interesting way, in a deep way. Mm. Chris, I don't really need to to spend time with. I don't think. Joe is just entertaining. Everything he says is funny. I don't know what I would say to him. I would mm-hmm. probably say, you know, when are you coming back? He tweeted, when when are we going to get uh, these Survivor producers would be crazy? And it was a picture of him, Chris, and Dom dreamcasting that, those three people being on the same season. I don't know. What would you do? I think I talked to Chris at the beginning of the night because he's just going to fill the first hour with talk of himself. I talked to Joe second because I just like his fiery attitude and the show would probably be on at that moment and I want to see his live reaction. And then I talked to Dom about the state of the game because he was out there playing. But I just thought that would be a fun party to go to. I just thought that would be a fun party. Yeah, maybe that could be our poll this week. Which which of these three people (laughs) would you want to talk to if you ran into them at a bar? I'll say our poll last week, 71 people voted, 86% said Wendell's confessional was better than Dom, which I I guess is right, but I don't think it's that big of a difference. Well, all that really means is 86% of people disagree with me. So <laughs> that's okay. I've never been one to fold that sounds like popular our opinion. <laughs> it does sound like our podcast. <laughs> I rant and ramble and have no idea what I'm saying, and people disagree. Speaking of podcast, if you'd enjoyed this one, give it a rating, give it a like, tell a friend about it. We always love having new listeners. Like we always say, you can find me at Tyler B. Commons on Twitter. You can find Taylor at Gaines Taylor. And you can find our website on theislandpodcast.com. The last tweet from Tyler B. Commons, quote, it smells like R. Kelly's sheets. Yeah, we had a, I had to clean something <laughs> at the office and all I could think of was Macklemore's line. So not very creative, but I love interacting on Twitter. All right, I can die in peace, Ty. We got through another one. This is not just a stick anymore. Not just an effing stick. It's gotten its power, and it's back. All right, Ty, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. Go to sleep. Take some medicine. That's what I'm going to (laughs) do. Enjoy your weekend, people. Go Bolts. Bye. Good night. If you wanna hear it here on the island You gotta talk about the show If you wanna live here on the island Are you gonna survive When you're gonna be living a life on the 
island And you're living a survivor on the island I'm not good at making these things up as well <laughs> That is uh, again